Hello and welcome to the Gilmore Ball Z bonus episodes, where because of your generous donations to the Gohan and Rory Book Club Fund, we are watching The Return of Cooler, not to be confused with Cooler's Revenge. So, yeah, we watched The Return of Cooler, the Dragon Ball Z movie that is the sequel to Cooler's Revenge, and, uh, well, Paige, what happened in The Return of Cooler? I've said before that the most recent season of Dragon Ball, the Boo Saga, feels more like Dragon Ball trying to do a fairy tale with wizards and the pure of heart than it does like a Dragon Ball movie. Here we get Dragon Ball's take on sci-fi. Uh, I, was say, I have a note that it, uh, some of the slower shots of the movie felt very 2001. Not only did that feel 2001, but I mean the fact that it's all about computers going evil. So we'll get to that in a second. Uh but what happens here is that the Namekians on New Namek are being attacked by something. Uh, big armies of horrible robots. So Dende hears this from his place on the Watchtower, where he's the Guardian of Earth, if you'll remember. And he asks Goku for help with the encouragement of Mr. Popo, who is now an advisor. Because uh, that's... Um, a little less racist, and we are grateful for that. It's a promotion from manservant. It's true. It's better than that. Uh, it's still blackface, but it's still <laughs> advisor. Okay, sure. Um, so he encourages Dende to ask Goku for help, and Goku get, pulls together. This is like that scene in the Avengers when they're all ready to go back in time in Endgame. Uh, Goku pulls together his crack team of the best fighters that Dragon Ball Z has known. Uh, that is, of course, Goku, Gohan. Piccolo, Krillin, uh, Yajirobe, Master Roshi, and the pig. <laughs> like, it really felt like whoever had a free weekend to do voice acting are the people they picked to be on the team for this movie. No Tian, no Yamcha, no turned androids, no Bulma, nothing. It's, uh, it's the pig. So they all get in, and and Yajirobe, who always is ready to go for a fight, uh, he seems to be there just to deliver senzu beans. Really, Yajirobe, the pig, and Masaroshi don't do anything for the plot, so don't expect them to come up later except to deliver a single senzu bean. They all go to New Namek, where they're being attacked by, they were called, I think, Cyclopsian robots, something like that. Uh, these robots are being provided by something called the Big Getty Star. We get a little explanation later on what the Big Getty Star is, so you're going to have to wait just like I did. It turns out that these robots are being led by Cooler, who has been replaced. You know, he looks less like Shredder from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in this movie and more like a T-1000 from the Terminator movies. Uh, big, shiny metal and chrome. And... So all of the, the Z fighters are stuck fighting the ads while Goku goes up against the big shots. So Gohan and Piccolo are trying to figure out how to pierce their armor, and Piccolo eventually figures out that if you shoot them in a very specific spot, they all blow up, so they're able to kill some of these robots. Um, this is less important than Goku fighting Cooler. Cooler basically tells him that there's no time to explain why there's no time to explain. He's about to be dead anyway. They throw down, you learn that Cooler also knows instant transmissions somehow, and it looks like they're evenly matched. Cooler gets the upper hand on Goku, literally, when he tries to strangle him. 
Vegeta comes out of literally nowhere. As far as we can tell, he has, like, trained himself to sense Goku's life sign and only Goku's life sign and come when he's in danger because there might be something interesting happening. It's not clear. It's never explained. No, it's never explained how Vegeta got there, and it's never explained where Vegeta goes after. It's never explained where he was during it. It's just Vegeta is here. Please clap. Vegeta is here because Christopher Sabat was free that weekend, but he didn't know until the last minute, so they had to call him in late. Um, See, that joke works yeah, so as if he... Christopher Savant is also Piccolo. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, he was already here and he realized that Piccolo doesn't do much in this movie. Um, so they then throw down with Cooler and anime fans love when the rival boys fight together. Uh, they figure out that the only way they're going to take Cooler down is if they fight together because uh, Cooler seems to have the power of regeneration. He says that he actually is powered by the Big Getty Star's computer. This is what brought him back. And it has the ability to regenerate him whenever he dies, taking out whatever insecurity made him susceptible to attack in the first place. So they keep shooting him and he keeps rebuilding. And then they finally concentrate their efforts together and are able to pull off one big attack and defeat him. At which point the Big Getty Star realizes that its mistake is not anything in Cooler specifically, but in the fact it didn't build a thousand coolers. So at that point it just builds a thousand coolers. I'm going to have a lot of questions about this in a minute that I don't expect you to answer. I like that the way you phrased it, that it, you know, eliminates his insecurities, makes it seem like it also protects him from emotional damage. You know? Maybe Vegeta could have used the Big Getty Star. (laughs) Maybe Vegeta... He went Majin instead, and that doesn't help him with his emotional insecurities one little bit. Um, So what we see is a last stand between Vegeta and Goku. They decide they're going to go down fighting. And they are, like, off camera, they're taken down and captured by the Thousand Coolers from the Big Getty Star, which is a sentence that makes sense once you explain it. Um, So at at the same time... Everybody on the Z Fighters has been captured by these fights with robots. The Z Fighters make their way into the Big Getty Star, which is like a big parasite that's landed on planet Namek that almost looks like another planet that's collided into it. It's so large, but it's just kind of like a big mossy amoeba that's landed on the planet and glommed on like a jellyfish. Everybody but Piccolo got captured, and then Piccolo's like, I'm coming, Gohan, and I guess everybody else too, and goes to rescue them. And there, there's actually some, like, this movie had a couple of really good funny beats where a robot comes up and says, if you follow us, we can begin by, or we can begin chopping you up. Oh, you might have misunderstood what we mean. We need your, and it's not as bad as it sounds. We need your energy, so we need to chop you up. It's like, uh, uh, no, that's, that's exactly as terrifying as it sounds, but this robot just gives the whole thing as if it's very friendly and it's very helpful and it just needs to chop you up a little bit. (laughs) So as they're about to chop them up, we cut back to Goku and Vegeta who have been captured by the Big Getty Star and the Thousand Cooler War. And the, they've been attached with like a tons of wires are wired up to them. They're feeding the matrix. This is the first time that Goku and Vegeta are used as a big giant power battery. But as we know from the Boo Saga, it's definitely not the last uh, and they are sucking up their power. And in another theme that's reused in the Boo Saga, uh, but probably not on purpose at all, 
they are too powerful. So when it keeps sucking their energy, Cooler has underestimated how much power is in the Super Saiyan, overloads the computer, everything starts blowing up, all the Cooler metabots shut down. The only thing that's left is Cooler's head suspended by wires, because we finally get an explanation for this big Getty Star thing. Uh, and it's stupid. It's really stupid. Apparently, there was a chip that was blown up in a spaceship somewhere floating through space. Where that chip came from, nobody knows. Uh, and why it functions like this, nobody's clear. This chip floated through space until it became sentient and made itself a body. And then started pulling in other things, including Cooler's head that was floating through space after Goku killed him. It absorbed his head, at which point he became the sentient personality of the Big Getty Star. He is running the show. His head is suspended by wires in the middle of a big control room. And that's what the Big Getty Star is? Um, so... The thing is, he underestimated, everything starts blowing up, and he underestimated Goku and Vegeta, who have enough power for one more attack. Which is good, because then the ending of this movie isn't the heroes both, like, passively defeating the bad guy by being defeated. Instead, it's them getting off one more attack by the sh power of Goku's will and his fighting spirit, and Vegeta helping a little bit. They are able to explode the last body the cooler makes for himself. Go like Vegeta speeds off in his spaceship with the chip and then destroys it, so that's all safe, and everyone is safe to go home and eat Senzu beans. And that's what happened in this movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happened in this movie. Um, uh, special shout out, of course, because this is a Dragon Ball movie. To the powers that we see only in Dragon Ball movies, uh, we got Piccolo's extendo arms again. Yes. Uh, we got a Piccolo pick explosion, uh, where Piccolo can explode his body, I guess. And uh, Vegeta has finger lasers. Yeah, Vegeta has finger lasers. Uh, we get a, a like literal finger guns. Yeah, and we get a unique look at instant transmission where uh -huh. Goku's like, he uses instant transmission and Cool is like, oh, that's a neat trick. He's like, yeah, it's called instant transmission. And Cool is like, oh, I know, it's my favorite. And he does it too. So like, I guess Cooler has yeah. instant transmission. Um, yeah. But uh, so they're having a little teleport fight and we, we finally get to see what Goku sees when he's instant transmitting, which apparently it's like the speed force, except he runs through the 80s. Yeah, because the color palette is definitely inspired by the 80s or early 90s. Well, this um, movie was released in 1992, so it was probably pretty on point. Uh, yeah. And so we get, like, actually kind of a cool sequence of Goku and Cooler fighting, like, in the instant transmission force. And meanwhile, Vegeta looks on like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm the only one who doesn't know this thing. Yeah, like, Vegeta's trying to keep up. It was actually kind of an interesting set piece. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of stuff that didn't quite make sense in this movie. I mean, they assumed that no one would ask questions, and a lot of the audience probably didn't. So I gotta say, uh, this is one of the movies that I, I'm not sure if I had seen before. If I had, it was long enough ago that it was pretty much new to me watching it now. Mm -hmm. And 
quality wise, it's an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. There's some, I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. for me, there's some stuff in this movie that I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. There were, like, like they, it has its moments. Honestly, the whole first half of this movie I liked. I liked the that some of the space sequences were like quiet and slow and it was it was like a Dragon Ball take on like serious sci-fi in places that I really I, I was digging. And the animation was definitely really shabby. Like it, it the animation was kind of sloppy, but it was sloppy in like that kind of interesting, almost intentional way that you get in a lot of anime movies. You felt like there were smart people or at least people with creative people with interesting ideas animating it with very huge limitations yeah and so it resulted in like that whole bat that whole fight between goku and cooler like i was enjoying watching it there was yeah. some some fun fun choreography they did that what they could with the animation they were given and like it was it was fun to watch and like even yeah. some of the b-listers fighting the robots was like fun to watch but then we had like five times in a row we got the gag of somebody punches the robot and then goes, ow, my hand. Yeah. Like that was the only gag they had for the robots. And like, I really, really liked the dynamic between Goku and Vegeta in this. And we can talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But also like, I, it kind of felt like the story, like they, the script fell apart in the last act. Yeah. Because as soon as Goku and Vegeta wake up on the big Getty star, it just kind of felt like events happened. And it didn't quite feel like Dragon Ball. No. And like the movies are a place to experiment with stuff that isn't quite Dragon Ball. So like that I'm, I can give a little bit bigger of a pass to, but I mean, not even like in terms of genre, but like how it used Vegeta and Goku felt weird. Yeah. Well, and just like, I dig the idea of he tries to drain Goku and Vegeta's energy, but it ends up being too much for him. Mm-hmm. Like that, it, it reminds me of uh, of the bit in, at, near the end of Gurren Lagann when they're stuck in the in the hyperdimensional labyrinth, and it's like, oh, we're draining all your spiral power, and Simone's like, okay, I'll just put it out faster than you can drain it. Like, yeah. I, I like that brute force got them out of a complicated situation in a way that makes sense uh-huh. but it happened so quickly like it happened almost immediately after they were captured there was no dialogue about it it almost seemed like goku and vegeta did it on accident oh it 100 percent seemed like they did it on accident i just assumed they did it on accident yeah we're like i feel like with a little more care it could have been that it starts to get drained like they get drained and they're like, oh, no, how do we get out of this? And Vegeta notices something. Like, he notices some detail mm-hmm. that shows that Cooler's trying to close off the power or something. And so, of course, because, of course, it would be Vegeta would notice something and go, wait, Kakarot, feed him more power. Well, and even just, like, there were some things that they were obviously setting up, and they didn't quite... They set up early in the movie that Cooler is being regenerated by the big Getty Star's computer. And so that's obvious, like, putting the gun on the wall of, like, if you're able to break the big Getty Star computer, then Cooler will stop regenerating and you'll be able to defeat him. But this is told to Goku. 
and only Goku. So we don't have anyone who's smart enough to use that information. And when they overload the system with power, it's not even breaking the computer necessarily. It's breaking the entire system because it's overloaded and explodes. So you never, like, you kind of get to play with it because then Cooler's head in, you know, on wires can't generate much of a new body. But we don't actually use the weakness that they set up at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, where it's like a different draft of this movie where it's like Goku and Vegeta trying to hold out as long as they can against Cooler while, like, Gohan and Krillin and Piccolo are scouring the big Getty star trying to find the computer. Like, that could have been an exciting final battle. But it kind of felt like all the tension in the movie deflated as soon as the, like, thousand Cooler army showed up. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating because I feel like there's the pieces of a really, really fucking good movie here, and it's just they didn't quite bring them together in the end. Well, and even just, like, there are a few moments that are genuinely really funny. The piece with the robot's funny. Uh, There's a moment later in the movie that I forgot to mention where they're floating, like, Goku and Vegeta are falling out of the spaceship, and they're, like, gently wafting down, so it seems like they're being carried on their own energy, even though they're exhausted, and Gohan's like, Dad, I'm so happy to see you! And then they just... (laughs) into the earth because they've been falling and they just make a crater in the ground and that that worked that was i laughed i laughed pretty hard at that and just like gohan's face just freezes like oh like and the thing is like it's not just like this joke happened and they didn't quite know how to play it off which sometimes happens with dragon ball where the humor the idea is there but they don't know how to execute that was executed beautifully mm-hmm. no that was great setup and great execution well, and even, like, the the final confrontation being, like, Cooler's head grafted together in this haphazard, like, bundle of wires so he's, like, a 15-foot-tall, raging Cooler robot monster was cool. Right, but it lasted all of, like, five seconds. Yeah, and, like, them winning because Vegeta swallows his pride and gives Goku the assist to let Goku get the killing blow is good. Like, there was... <sighs> you mean giving Goku a happy ending? Yes. The movie legitimately has a line where Goku's like, it's weird that Vegeta doesn't like happy endings, because I think he's the reason we had one, and it's so close that Vegeta gave us a happy ending. It's really uncomfortable. It's really true. And, like, the other thing that you didn't mention that I think could have been really interesting, but wasn't, is that the, the very last shot of the movie is when he says, like, you know, I wonder where Vegeta went, and it cuts to Vegeta hurtling through space in his space pod and he has the chip for the big Uh getty star in his hand yeah and he looks at it for a minute and then he crushes it yeah like i want to know what was going through his head in that moment was vegeta Mm -hmm. thinking about using it i mean like that would be cool as a setup later for him taking the power of the majin and regretting crushing that chip earlier or something like is, like, the Big Getty Star in general, like, you're right that it's kind of a silly thing of, like, a sentient microchip floated through some space junk. Like, it sounds like a Power Rangers villain origin. But I kind of like it. The execution is obviously flawed, but I I like the idea because it's so different than the usual Dragon Ball villain. And one thing that the movies, for all of the movies' faults, one thing that the movies are very good at is they make the world of Dragon Ball feel bigger. Mm-hmm. And the notion of 
they're at some point out in the cosmos, possibly centuries ago. Actually, they said eons ago, because they said he floated for eons. So millions of years ago, there was a civilization that was advanced enough that it was able to create an artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. that went rampant, went Skynet, and destroyed everything. Mm -hmm. And then the single microchip that had that thing had to float for millions of years, but it eventually was able to acquire enough other errant space tech to build itself into a death machine. That's interesting world building. Yeah, no, I'll admit, like, half of my notes are questions about how the Big Getty Star works. And I'm going to get into that now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me your questions. Give me your questions. Well, because, like, the thing is, it's not even, like, necessarily I have questions you could answer, but I really regret Bulma not being on this mission. I know that there wasn't really a reason to give her this mission, but the thing is, once we find out that the Big Getty Star is a piece of tech... I want Bulma's take, especially because she's just coming off of working with the artificial intelligence that's inside the androids, especially Android 16. Because this probably happened sometime during the Android saga, even though this is a Dragon Ball movie and timelines make no sense. She is the person you want here. Yeah, if Dende is the guardian of Earth, then it definitely takes place after the androids. Right, so it takes place after the androids before Cell. Yeah, and Goku, Bulma it, has been studying artificial intelligence. Yeah, Goku and friends just had a really busy week before the Cell games, because this obviously takes place right near Broly. Uh, and so, like, I'm, I'm a software engineer, but I'm not an expert in supercomputers. I took one course in college six years ago that I didn't pay as much attention to as I should have. Sorry, Professor Bundy. Uh, but... I have a lot of questions about how the Big Getty, like that I'm not supposed to ask, about how the Big Getty Star operates as a system. Uh, because for one thing, it is obviously, like, it makes no sense for it. I know this is me questioning Dragon Ball logic, but I have so many questions about how it generated the Thousand Cooler army. Uh, because f- for one thing, where did it get the materials for a thousand cooler army? They're obviously some sort of high tech, highly molded, very smooth, and highly advanced technology, and yet it just pulled enough, like not scrap metal, clean, nice, shiny metal to make a thousand human-sized robots like that. Like, where where did that come from? Especially, like, why has it never considered that it might need more than one cooler body before if this is the way this machine thinks? Because, like, it has a very non-human way of thinking where, you know, it sees having one body as a flaw, where it sees being chopped up into pieces for energy not as killing something, but just taking its energy. And it doesn't even see taking its energy as a wrong thing. So it has an interesting thought process behind it. Why hasn't it considered making multiple bodies before if it doesn't view a single body, you know, soul or whatever combination is sacred? And then the other thing is I don't understand how its computing system works. And once again, I realize this is a children's TV show, but I want answers because each cooler seems to operate as its own device. Like, they don't do that thing that, you know, you sometimes see where a thousand bodies talk simultaneously. Each one has its own individual brain. Uh, They speak differently. They move differently. It's not quite like the Geth in uh, Mass Effect, where they see themselves as a legion. 
Like the these all see themselves as individual coolers. But I'm not when, sure I'm not sure that we we get enough time with the coolers to support that claim. We see when like they attack on the cliff, one talks to them and the others don't. I don't there know if that necessarily means each one is an individual, though. It's just Cooler's choosing to talk through one of them. He's choosing to talk through one of them, but they seem to be a distributed system that can, like... That's the thing. I have questions about how, like, the computing power of this machine, where we get the fact that Cooler's brain is running this through the interface of the Big Getty Star, and all of these machines are operating individually. They all operate differently. So it would make sense if there are a large... Com- distributed system that all operate independently with their own set of prerequisites and they each have their own base of computing power but that's not what we have even though they speak individually because when the central power takes on too much power it wirelessly transfers power and processing energy through all of them so they all explode at the same time roughly so i want to know what this thing is yeah, the Big Getty Star is definitely a huge missed opportunity of, like, badass world building. Especially because, like, there seem to be different personalities at play. The robot that guides the Z fighters through the system seems to be a completely different entity than Cooler. For sure. But it still blows up when the Big Getty Star blows up. And what is this, like, how did a microchip gain a robot body? How it floated that... <laughs> through just the right batch of space junk. I, I guess. It took uh, millions of years. Yeah. I mean, there were cool like hum- like evolution metaphors to go into there, but I guess we're, we don't get that. Okay. Um, like, through millions of years, like, this is almost like, you know, the Big Bang where, you know, in millions of years, things came together to form complex systems. Like... And I I don't want to get into, like, questions about how that happened, but, like, for the Big Getty Star specifically, what did that evolution look like? These are answers I do not get. <laughs> yeah, th- th- this movie this movie rushes through the interesting stuff in some ways. But we it, get the anime boys fighting together. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad. The thing is, the anime boys fighting together content is also good. Like, I don't want to give that up, but I also, like... It feels weird to say, but I wish this movie was a little longer. It's a supercomputer with distributed wireless transfer of energy that is perpetuating to get itself more energy, but is still guided by a being that has emotional drives. Like, what does that mean for it? Yeah, like, after after he absorbs the Namekians and kills Goku and Vegeta, like, what is he going to do? Is he just going to go around being Galactus? I mean, I guess that's what booted, apparently. I should have been pretty dope, just cooler as Galactus. I'd be into that. Once again, it is something in Dragon Ball that promises me interesting world building and then fails on execution. And I want to still give it the credit for the things we saw, but it is definitely frustrating. I think that you were you were so blinded by the failed promise of the big Getty star, you missed the other really big promise of this movie that does not get capitalized on at all. Which is? This is a movie about Piccolo going back to New Namek. Yeah, that's true. And he's like basically not in this movie. And like the fact that this happened on New Namek feels kind of unimportant. Unimportant. Yeah, this could have been literally any planet. Like Cooler picked New Namek because he wanted to get Goku's attention. Mm-hmm. But then why not just go to Earth? 
it would be, in fact, it would make more sense for Vegeta to show up out of nowhere if this was on Earth, because we uh-huh. can assume Vegeta's on Earth. Yeah. It, so... Well, but the weird thing is, it also seems like it might be in the time period where Vegeta's in space. Like, Dragon Ball movies don't happen in a single time stream. No, but still, like, I, I feel like the fact that this this is, like, really the only serious new Namek content we ever get. Except, like, the Dragon Ball Super manga has just now just doing a story arc set on New Namek. But this was the only New Namek content we got for decades. And mm-hmm. the, the fact that it takes place on New Namek is completely superfluous. Well, the funny thing is, even, like, there are some moments in it that could have been more New Namekian. Like, this movie starts with a big Getty star crossing across the sun in a really slow shot. Really slow, weird way to start a movie. Anyway... This is Namek. Namek has, like, old Namek had three sons. Does new Namek have three sons? They say it's the wrong time of year for an eclipse. Is this an annual occurrence? Like, what does this mean for Namek? They kind of hinted at having its own unique properties and then don't use any of them. Well, and like, okay, this is new Namek. Are the Dragon Balls not in play right now? Really? Yeah. Like, you'd think, oh, a big fucking thing is attacking a new Namek and we're screwed. Let's round up those Dragon Balls real quick. They might help us. So it's weird that the Dragon Balls have, like, no place in this story when Cooler probably knew about the Dragon Balls. You'd mm-hmm. think that, you'd think that like, an artificial, a, a perpetually self-upgrading artificial intelligence would be interested in the Dragon Balls. Yeah. Like, I would think that that would be Cooler's motive of, like, I'm going to assimilate the Dragon Balls and absorb their power, and then I really will be immortal. Like, Mm -hmm. come on. There's just, and just, I mean, Piccolo getting to go to New Namek. The biggest thing for Piccolo that I feel the story has always failed on is giving us more content of him connecting with his Namekian heritage. And this was an opportunity to do that. And he just like, doesn't seem to care at all that he happens to be on his homeland. Not even him. He like, Nail is in there too. Yeah. Nail and Kami are both in there. Mm-hmm. And I, Kami hasn't been back to new Namek. Yeah, no, not since he was a child. So like, yeah, there was, there's stuff there that could have been capitalized on. That's unfortunate. Uh, but I do want to talk about what this movie did well. Mm-hmm. And I do think, honestly, Goku and Vegeta's dialogue in this movie was great. Like, the dynamics between Goku and Vegeta, I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Like, just their ba- banter while they were fighting of like, hey, Vegeta, can you still fight? Is What what kind of question is that? <laughs> like, of, I'm Vegeta, of course I can still fight. Or or even when Goku says, like, hey, let's fight together, uh, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. And Cooler comes for them and he says, okay, but you have to stay out of my way. Like, he doesn't ever admit that they're fighting together, but he's, like, fine to stay out of my way. Yeah, or even, like, at the very end when, when it's like, the, or not at the end, but when it's the thousand Coolers, Goku's just like, nice knowing you, Vegeta. Like, their dialogue was good in this. And honestly, it really, really reminded me of the newest My Hero Academia movie. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. And I, I have to wonder if Heroes Rising was at all, like, inspired by this movie. It felt like they were hamstrung by a lot of things, but were excited to write Goku and Vegeta and were happy to write that dynamic and they cared about that dynamic. Yeah. And I feel like, 
like, I really do wonder if there was a direct inspiration here because it is ultimately a an anime movie about our hero and his tsundere rival uh, being forced to take on overwhelming odds to protect a small community. Isn't that a, a, a ton of anime? It is, but I don't know. Just the, the vibe of it felt very similar. And... Specifically, the idea that, like, Vegeta grudgingly accepts working together with Goku. I don't know. Just the dynamics were very similar. It reminded me of it a lot. Obviously, Heroes Rising is a much better movie, but it reminded me of it a lot. Yeah. So, like, that was good. And, like you said, some of the humor landed really well. I just, I wish... I wish the other supporting aspects of it had worked. And, like, I don't... I just like Cooler as a villain. He's fun. Yeah. He's, he's, he's like, he's like Frieza with more control of his emotions. Mm-hmm. He's like a more grown up Frieza that just makes him so much fun. Did you have any other questions about this movie? Not especially, because I think a lot of the questions I have are not things that have answers. Like we said, where did Vegeta come from? You know, why do a lot of the fighters have powers in movies that they don't have elsewhere? Why did... Cooler learn instant transmission. None of these questions have answers. Where was Bulma? Like, this is not a place where there are questions that can be answered. Yeah, I think the only one that you can kind of answer is, like, why Oolong and Yajirobe and Roshi are on the mission. Yeah, great question. And the best I can... Because they are in, like, they were also kind of there for no reason in Broly. It's true. So I think it's just that who was whoever wrote the movies really like those characters and want them to be in the movies even though they can't do anything. Either that or my other theory, and uh, I have no research on this, but if they're more popular in Japan. They are probably also more popular in Japan, but it also seems like the writers particularly like these characters and want them to be in more things. So do you have any other thoughts on this movie that you want to talk about? I don't know if I do. So what's your final what's your final verdict? Is it is this is this a good movie or a bad movie? I don't think those are fair words to apply to Dragon Ball <laughs> movies. Uh I enjoyed this more than most Dragon Ball movies we've watched. But did you enjoy it? I don't think I would suggest watching this on purpose again. Okay. I got to say I I kind of I enjoyed the first half. Okay. The second half just fell apart really fast for me. Yeah. Which was frustrating. Um, I would love to... Actually, what I will say about this is I would love to see it get a reboot like Broly did. Yes, I would honestly... I have... I almost wonder if Cooler is the next movie they're planning on making. Because I believe Cooler did get name-dropped in Broly, if I'm remembering right. So I they might be... Like, they might be angling to recanonize cooler as well and i kind of hope they do because cooler is he's an interesting character and in that he's basically frieza but he's different enough that he's kind of his own interesting take on frieza and in current dragon ball canon frieza is alive so we could get the thing that we've never properly capitalized on which is cooler and frieza interacting and you know it's gonna be bad Oh, it's going to be horrible. Honestly, I'd be down with the next Dragon Ball movie being Frieza versus Cooler and somehow the Z fighters got caught in the middle. Yeah. 
Like, if it's like while Frieza was gone, Cooler had built up his own version of the Cold Force. And so now it's like Cold Force Civil War and somehow the Z Fighters are caught in the middle. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's kind of what that's that's I guess that's my thought. Like, I wish the second half had been stretched out a little more because they rushed through the second half of the movie when there was so much interesting stuff going on. Yeah, the pacing in this movie was strange. Yes, I think that's that that nails it. It's just that the pacing was off, which is unfortunate, because I think more than any of the movies we've watched so far, this one has had the most interesting ideas that weren't properly capitalized on. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess that's all we really got to say about Return of Cooler. Uh, well, thank you all for listening, and thank you all for donating. The only reason this episode was able to happen was because you all shelled out money for the Gohan and Rory Book Club Fund, which at this point has expanded to being for a couple of charities, but is primarily for the benefit of Room to Read. Room to Read is a charity that helps young people, especially young girls in developing countries and low-income areas, getting access to education, especially literacy. They do amazing work, and we've been able to raise an uh, an impressive amount of money for them through the Gohan and Rory Book Club Fund. So, Which really means you've raised an impressive amount of money for them. We've watched some crappy movies. We have, but you know what? If that's what motivates you to give, we will keep doing it. Uh, so you can always go to our website, uh, gilmoreballz.wordpress.com, go to the Gohan and Rory Book Club Fund tab. You can see how much we've raised, what our current stretch goals are, and you can find links on where to donate. Uh, we will occasionally run other things where we will accept money for other causes. We've taken money for uh, the Hispanic Fund when Puerto Rico was in some dire straits due to repeated earthquakes. Uh, we also, I don't think we've actually taken any, but we are willing to take money to help uh, anybody that's helping first responders and research and anything else to help with the COVID-19 crisis, because that's when we're recording this, if you're binging through this backlog. Uh, and yeah, so if you like this episode and you want more like it, check that out and consider donating. We do match all donations dollar for dollar out of our own pocket as well. And we understand that this is a time when a lot of people are in financial dire straits, when a lot of people are strapped. Um, and we would really appreciate it if you're not one of those people and you're feeling like you're in a more comfortable place right now. Just give to a charity that you trust that helps people. Let us know, and we'll probably connect it up with the book club fund. Uh, we just really want to encourage you to be helping your community. Absolutely. And so with that, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for donating. We will see you next time on Saturday for our regularly scheduled programming. 